Welcome to Live, Laugh, Talk. I'm your host, James Graham. And it's just a privilege to be in your ear. In this episode, we will begin with a topic entitled, Why Should Work Fulfill? Then we will transition to our segment, How Did We Get Here?, followed by our hobbies and special interest section, and then conclude with our sunflower message. Do you have something on your mind you'd like to discuss? Maybe concern that you really would like to get out to listeners where you can be heard. If so, then you're encouraged to email us admin at livelaughtalk.com. That's admin at livelaughtalk.com. In addition, if listening on Spotify, you can add a voice memo as well as comments and participate in our poll. Also, wherever you listen to the podcast, please follow us so you're notified of the new episodes when they're released. The topic that we will begin with is entitled, Why Should Work Fulfill? It's said that if you enjoy what you do, then you'll never work a day in your life. With that in mind, work should be fulfilling because it not only provides financial stability, but also contributes to personal growth gives a sense of purpose, and also gives an overall well-being. When people find meaning in their work, they tend to be more motivated, productive, and satisfied, leading to a healthier work-life balance and improved mental health. Furthermore, fulfilling work promotes creativity and innovation as individuals are more likely to think outside the box and explore new ideas. See, when you're engaged and you're passionate about your tasks, that puts you in the box where you can create, where you can innovate, where you're better at what you do. It also fosters a positive work environment as employees who find their work fulfilling are more likely to collaborate effectively, support their colleagues, and contribute to a culture of teamwork. From an organizational perspective, having fulfilled employees can lead to lower turnover rates, reduced absenteeism, and increased loyalty. Companies that prioritize employee well-being and provide opportunities for growth and development are more likely to attract and retain top talent, ultimately leading to improved business outcomes. Overall, the pursuit of fulfilling work is essential not only for individual satisfaction, but also for the success and sustainability of businesses and society as a whole. The concept of work being fulfilling aligns with the evolving values of modern society. Now, many employers believe that money motivates an employee. Some believe that money itself fulfills. If that were true, we wouldn't have firefighters and teachers, would we? 
Their fulfillment comes from genuine meaning and purpose in their lives. They're not satisfied with merely clocking in and out for a paycheck. They, like many, want their work to contribute to a larger purpose, whether it's making a positive impact on the world or it's helping others or it advances a call that they care about. Fulfilling work encourages continuous learning and skill development. That within itself aids a person. See, when we're challenged, we're encouraged to grow. And the more likely we are to acquire new skills, this not only benefits us personally with our professional development, but it also enhances our contribution to the organization and society as a whole. Ultimately, the pursuit of fulfilling work leads to a higher quality of life. People spend a significant portion of their lives at work. We spend approximately 8 to 12 hours at work. We may spend more time at work than we do with our own families. So if that time is spent in activities that bring us joy, satisfaction, and a sense of accomplishment, it contributes to our overall happiness and well-roundedness. This in turn has positive ripple effects on our relationships, on our, our health, our overall life satisfaction. Furthermore, the concept of doing any job that fulfills us encourages a shift away from the traditional work-life balance towards a more holistic work-life integration. See, when we look at it that way, instead of viewing work as a separate entity from our personal lives, Individuals are encouraged to find ways to align their passions, values, and interests with their career. Now, this can lead to a more seamless blending of work and personal life, which in turn will reduce stress and create a sense of harmony. In this world that's rapidly changing, where automation and technology are reshaping industries, the nature of work itself is also evolving. Jobs that require routine tasks are increasingly being automated, while roles that involve creativity, critical thinking, and emotional intelligence are gaining prominence. Yes, we should all pursue fulfilling work because it prepares us to adapt to the changes that may happen in life by fostering the skills and mindsets that are essential in the new economy. In summary, the importance of work being fulfilling goes beyond individual happiness. It has far-reaching effects on personal growth, organizational success, societal progress, and the overall well-being of individuals. As society continues to evolve, the emphasis on work, 
bringing us joy, is likely to become even more critical in shaping the way we approach our careers and lives, not only in the present time, but on into the far, far distant future. This segment will deal with a very sensitive subject. And that subject is domestic violence. We're going to start off the segment with information. If you're in trouble and you need help, you're a victim of domestic violence. The website is thehotline.org. That's thehotline.org. There you can chat with members. If you can't openly speak, you can chat with your device. You can also call 800-799-SAFE. That's 800-799-SAFE. You can text START to 88788. That's START to 88788. All of this information is free. Everything about this website and this phone call or text or chat is confidential. And it's 24-7, 365. Now let's start off our conversation with what domestic violence is. Believe it or not, many people have a problem defining domestic violence. Some people are being treated poorly, but they don't think that it's domestic violence. So we're going to actually take the time to define domestic violence and, and the good time, because we should all be clear of what this means. See, domestic violence is a pattern of abusive behavior in any relationship that is used by one partner to gain or maintain power and control over another intimate partner. Domestic violence can be physical, sexual, emotional, economic, psychological, or technological actions or threats of actions or other patterns or coercive behavior that influence another person within an intimate partner relationship. Now, what is an intimate partner? Of course, that would be a spouse or live-in partner or one that you have a child with, any way that that relationship is intimate. This includes any behaviors that imitate, manipulate, humiliate, isolate, Frightened, terrorize, coerce, threaten, blame, hurt, injure, or wound someone. We're going to talk about the examples of these. We just mentioned them all in one sentence, but we're going to give examples. Again, we need to define what it is. Let's talk about physical abuse. Let's take that one out by itself. Physical abuse is hitting, slapping, shoving, grabbing, pinching, Biting, hair pulling, etc. 
All of that is physical abuse. It could also be denying a partner medical care or forcing alcohol and or drug abuse upon him or her. Physical abuse. Let's talk about sexual abuse. Again, we need these definitions because, believe it or not, some people don't know what sexual abuse is. We're going to talk about it. Sexual abuse is coercing or attempting to coerce any sexual contact or behavior without consent. Sexual abuse includes, but is certainly not limited to, marital rape, attacks on sexual parts of the body, forcing sex after physical violence has occurred, or treating one in a sexually demeaning manner. Now, let's go back to marital rape. You see... It's in the minds of many that if I'm married, I don't need consent. That's not true. There exists marital rape. See, that's the reason why we need to go through these definitions. That's the reason why it's important. Because in some of our minds, we may go, oh, well, yeah, of course. But many people need these definitions. And we're going to move on. Emotional abuse. That's undermining an individual's sense of self-worth and or self-esteem. See, that's abuse. Some folks may not realize it. Well, he, he, just, he just talks to me a certain way. But no, there's no certain ways. If this individual, and I said he, but women do the same. It's not limited to just self-esteem or self-worth issues. If that individual tries to work against your self-esteem by constant criticism, diminishing your abilities, name-calling, or damaging your relationship with your children or your other family members, emotional abuse. Economic abuse is controlling or restraining a person's ability to acquire, use, or maintain economic resources. Maybe this person fraudulently, fraudulently excuse me, uses your credit. Or they manipulate you to restrict your access to money or assets. They coerce you. They unfairly use economic resources that should belong to you, including money, assets. Assets could be cars, houses, what have you. Or exert undue influence over a person's financial and economic decisions. Some have even exploited powers of attorney, guardianship, or conservatorship, or failing or neglecting to act in the best interest of a person to whom one has fiduciary duty. All of that is an economic and economic abuse. Psychological abuse. That includes, but not limited to, causing fear by intimidation, threatening physical harm to someone or, or even their self, the partner, the children, the friends, the family. Get this. There have been those who have destroyed pets or property or forced isolation from family, friends, School or work. 
Some of you may be new to the technological abuse. You may have never heard about that. But that's a pattern of behavior that's intended to harm, threaten, control, stalk, harass, impersonate, exploit, extort, or monitor another person that comes from any form of technology, including internet-enabled devices, online spaces and platforms, computers, mobile devices, cameras, imaging programs, apps, location tracking devices even, or communication technologies or any other emerging technologies that come about. And I've even heard of some of these apps that people have put on phones and things like so they can track people, know where they are at all times. And the person doesn't even know that that's on their phone. That's listed as technological abuse. See, a lot of times we don't know what abuse really is. We're thinking, oh, that person didn't hit me. They didn't slap me. But there's so many other ways that you can be abused. And see, this can happen to anybody. It affects people of all socioeconomic backgrounds, people of all economic levels. It happens whether there's opposite sex or same-sex relationships. Those who are married, living together, dating, share a child, anyone. But it not only affects those who abuse, but also has a substantial effect on family members, friends, co-workers, other witnesses, and the community at large. Children who grow up witnessing domestic violence are among those seriously affected by the crime. And frequent exposure to violence in the home not only predisposes children to numerous social and physical problems, but it also teaches them that violence is a normal way of life. Therefore, increasing their risk of becoming society's next generation of victims and abusers. It just goes on and on. This discussion of domestic violence is intended to educate, educate us about the dynamics of abuse in intimate partner relationships, as well as to help victims to understand their experience and family and friends of victims to recognize signs of abuse in the relationships of their loved ones. Now, let's talk about statistics. This will blow your mind, because it blew mine. On average, nearly 20 people per minute are physically abused by an intimate partner in the United States. That's 20 people per minute. So if you start at the beginning of this podcast and you got to this minute right here, 400 people during this minute we're talking have been physically abused by the one that they're intimate with. During one year, this equates to more than 10 million women and men. 10 million. That's a large number, people. One in four women, one in nine men experience severe physical violence from their intimate partner. 
sexual violence, stalking, with impacts such as injury, fearlessness, post-traumatic stress disorder, use of victim services, contraction of sexually transmitted diseases. That's one in four women, one in nine men. When it comes to even more severe slapping, shoving, pushing types of things, that's one in three women and one in four men. One in seven women and one in 25 men have been injured by an intimate partner. One in 10 women have been raped. Now, the data is unfortunately unavailable on male victims who have been raped. But let's be real. It happened. One in four women, one in seven men have been victims of severe physical violence, like beating, burning, strangling. One in four and one in seven have been beaten, burned, or strangled by the one they love. One in seven women, one in 18 men stalked by a, an intimate partner during their lifetime to the point that they felt very fearful or believed that they or someone close to them would be harmed or killed. On a typical day, that hotline number I gave you, those numbers are nationwide. And on a typical day, just one day, there are more than 20,000 phone calls placed to domestic violence hotlines in one day. That's a typical day. It could be more on some days. And if you have a gun in that house, oh, that increases the risk of homicide by 500%. Intimate partner violence accounts for 15% of all violent crimes. You put all violent crimes together and the intimate violence accounts for 15% of it. Women between the ages of 18 to 24 are most commonly abused by an intimate partner, but we know the, the numbers can be any age. 19% of it involves a weapon. Now, all of this correlates with a higher rate of depression and suicidal behavior. And of those who are injured by their partners, only 34% get medical care. Well, we know why that is. Because if you go into a hospital and the person comes in wounded and you're their partner, there's going to be a whole lot of questions. Those doctors are going to call the police. They're going to start asking a lot of questions. So a lot of times these people don't get help at all. And how many times... Have some of us seen someone, they come to work, they got a black eye, and they try to tell us that they've fallen or they hit a door. Now, I've fallen many times because I'm clumsy. And I've never gotten a black eye. I've ran into a door before because I'm, <laughs> you know, got poor eyesight. But you know what? I still didn't get a black eye because that's not how you get a black eye. But they'll try to convince us that that's what happened. 
See, many of us out there have even seen this violence happen because we might have been in the household. Because one in 15 children, we may have been that child in that household, one in 15 children are exposed to intimate partner violence each year. Now, how does this affect our economy? You wouldn't think that it does, right? Wrong. See, these victims lose a total of 8 million days of paid work each year. So they're costing the economy. They're costing these companies. They're costing themselves. The cost is over $8.3 billion per year of all of these days lost. Between 21 to 60% of victims lose their jobs because of the abuse. Now this one's going to knock you off your feet. Not that the rest of it isn't horrible. But in the last five years, 142 women were murdered in their workplace by their abuser. 78% of women killed in the workplace was during the last five years. Now, this is unimaginable. And as horrible as all of this is, there is still bias and possibly unconscious bias. Because men who are victims are often overlooked. They often don't even report their abuse because they're ridiculed. And like we talked about with some of these things, we said, well, we don't have the data for the men like on rape. And then we talked about people murdered in the workplace. Well, we only talked about the women. Even the Department of Justice website is named Office on Violence Against Women. That's the name of the website. Now, of course, men can call too, and they're supposed to call, but that's the name of it. And the name of the act that's a bill now is Violence Against Women. Of course, that includes anybody, but it's named women. Male statistics are even hard to find. Go online. As you know, I drown myself in research before I do these podcasts because I want to make sure that I give you accurate information. But even in drowning myself in, in research to get a website or even a helpline that's dedicated to men, I had to go outside the country. Mankind Initiative is dedicated to the statistics and aid of men who are abused, have a number to call and such, dedicated to men. But that's in the UK. We got to go across the pond for that information. Nothing here in the US as such. And more needs to be done here. And now that's not taking away anything from what we talked about. We're just saying we need even more because these numbers could really be small when we start adding the men in there too. That's not being reported. See, overall, we have defined domestic abuse. We have shared the unreal statistic 
We have shed light where it needs to be lit. Now, the question that we have to ask ourselves is how did we get here? Our special interest and hobby segment will be on augmented reality and virtual reality. Many of you have probably heard about these things. And for those of you who are not very familiar, we'll give a little bit of a description and kind of help to understand what we're talking about because this technology isn't going anywhere. It's just going to continue to increase and grow to the point that it's just going to be common in households. Pretty much, I see it in the future like a television. It's just going to be in every household. But for now, let's talk about what these things are. So you have AR and VR, augmented reality versus virtual reality. Well, let's start off with augmented reality. Augmented reality is using a real world setting. So if you have a phone that has an augmented reality app, you can have such things as a dinosaur, for instance, uh, walking in your house. You download the app and it looks like the dinosaur is real and that is in your house through your phone. So it's using your real world, your home. Also, some furniture companies have it now where you can do augmented reality so you can see that piece of furniture in your home through the lens of your phone. Virtual reality is of a controlled reality. It's not the real world. It enhances by using a fictional reality around you. So you, you appear to be inside of a video game for instance. So it's not going to use your house. It's going to use a reality that makes you think you're in another world. So there are many now virtual reality headsets out there. And while we're still talking about the difference in the two, if you have that virtual reality headset that gives you the impression that you're somewhere else, it'll give you, if that if it's turned off, it, you'll feel like you're blindfolded because the headsets are opaque. They block out the surroundings. When you wear them, you turn it off. It'll look like you're blindfolded. If you turn it on, it has LCD or OLED panels inside that are refracted by the lenses to fill your field of vision with whatever is being displayed. That could be a game. It could be a 360 degree video or just the virtual space of the platform interfaces. So in other words, you can see a movie. I remember when I was uh, very young and I went to Epcot Center and it had a 360 video. So it, you felt like you were inside a boat, like it had a boat going along a creek and it felt like you were inside of it because in front of you, you can see the front of the boat, side of you, you can see the sides and so on and so on. Well, that's what the VR does. So you can have a 360 video where it seems like you're inside of this video game or inside of this movie and you actually got 360 view. You can turn around. The more you turn around, the more you see the things on the side of you and behind you and that sort of thing. Now, with the augmented reality that's out there, it's growing in popularity too. 
uh, like I mentioned, has already been on phones and things like that for quite a few years. But now there are going to be devices that are coming out that will be able to have this technology in our homes and use it for different purposes. With augmented reality, there are companies such as Apple that's bringing out the Apple Vision Pro. Uh, it will be a $3,500 device. It won't be cheap. But with that technology, you'll be able to put on your augmented reality glasses. You'll still be able to see around you so you're not totally feeling like you're blindfolded or anything. But you will be able to look at let's just say TV through that, and it'll look like it would if you had a project projector screen on your wall. It'll just look huge. So you'll be able to look through those AR glasses and you've got a giant TV. So you won't necessarily need your TV. Also, you can do uh, your applications, work applications, uh, things that are on your, your iPad. You'll be able to, to control all of those things with finger movements while using your AR glasses. Kind of like the movie Minority Report, if you remember, how they were just moving apps around with their hands. It'll be somewhat like that. Um, there's more companies like Rokit that's bringing out a device that really is dedicated to TV and movies. So you'll be able to, to use this device, which costs $529 with the glasses and your remote control, and you'll be able to stream your movies and it'll look like a giant screen on the wall. You can take it with you if you're going uh, traveling or you're going to a friend's house and it'll just appear at, like it's the space in front of you. So that TV doesn't have to be 75, 85 inches. The glasses will make it look make whatever movie you're watching look like you're looking on a screen that large or a movie screen in front of you. So technology is constantly moving. And these things, they might sound foreign to you today, but our younger generation, our millennials, it's not foreign to them at all because they've had the VR technology, the virtual reality for quite some time as well. There have been products out there like uh, MetaQuest, that now the prices have come down. They were extremely expensive. But if you got the older models, you can get them from around $299 to $399. Of course, the MetaQuest Pro, the newest one, is $1,000. But with that one, you're able to play games and such. And as mentioned, you have 360 vision. And not just Meta there, there's some other ones that's out there, like the PlayStation has a VR system as well. So, as mentioned, if you don't know about it, just ask your kids. They definitely know. They are brought up to speed and, and all of that. But I tell you, it's going to be something that now is super expensive and it's, it's rare and it's not everywhere. But over time, just like we talked about last week on our television sets, at one time, flat screens were unbelievably high. Now you can get them for a song and a dance. And that's probably as these things develop and there's more demand for it, there's more people buying it, there's more people creating it, there'll be a lot of competition out there and we'll see some of those prices come down as well. So if you haven't had a chance to check any of that out, make sure you do. I think you will find it to be very interesting. I think you might want it in your house, whether you go VR 
or AR. There's even some that's kind of mixed. It's a little bit of both. So you get out there, use those devices, see how it works with your eyes, see if you're comfortable, and then you make your choice from there. But just as long as you know, we've got to keep up with technology because if we don't, it will pass us by. Our sunflower message will be a very familiar song. It's Don't Worry, Be Happy by Bobby McFerrin. Here's a little song I wrote. You might want to sing it note for note. Don't worry, be happy. In every life, we have some trouble. But when you worry, you make it double. Don't worry, be happy. Ain't got no place to lay your head. Somebody came and took your bed. Don't worry, be happy. The landlord say your rent is late. He may have to litigate. Don't worry. Be happy. I ain't got no cash, ain't got no style, ain't got no gal to make you smile. But don't worry. Be happy. Because when you worry, your face will frown. And that will bring everybody down. So don't worry. Be happy. Now there's this song I wrote. I hope you learned it note for note. Don't worry. Be happy. Now listen to what I said. And your life expects some trouble. But when you worry, you make it double. But don't worry. Be happy. Be happy now. That's a great reminder. Because as we go through life, there's so many things that happen. And worrying just don't seem to to solve the problem. On Cash App, dollar sign, Live, Laugh, Talk. Also on Twitter, at Live, Laugh, Talker. And on Spotify, press the dollar sign. And donate to support to our podcast. We really need any donations that you can send our way. Because absolutely nothing about the podcast is free. We also ask that you continue to rate us on your podcast platforms. Make sure you rate us the highest. And also, let your friends and family and colleagues know about us. And one more reminder, don't worry. Be happy. This is James and George's baby boy signing off. And as you know, I can't wait to talk with you again soon.